Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is the wickedly funny Olivier Award-winning Cassidy Jansen, known for her musical theatre work in Anne Juliet, Chess and Beautiful, the Carole King musical. She is also one third of the powerhouse trio Leading Ladies. Cassidy shares with us her journey into theatre with the ups and downs along the way. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Cassidy, hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. My cat is being very cute. My ma. My ma. You're going to speak. She chats all the time. Really? Oh, she chats. You had full conversations with her. Hey, baby. How have you been? How has lockdown treated you? Um, oh, someone calls it the Corona Coaster. Mm. And it really is. It really is this um, up and down, left and right. One day you think you've really got this whole thing. Okay, yeah. I'm going to, like, enjoy every second of it. And the next day you're in, like, depression, suicidal. suicidal you know, like, just this very low feeling. Yeah. And then um, and then the next day you're like, oh, actually, this is fun again. And it's so weird. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm so excited. Pleasure. Like, hit me with some, hit me with some questions. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole point of the Good Bad Bad podcast is really to understand the reality of these kind of creative careers that that people dream about and aspire to and um, train so hard for. But sometimes people never actually talk about what goes into making these careers. So we chat with people like yourself who have kind of established themselves within the industry and kind of pass on that little tips and tricks and advice that that you you've experienced and, and learned along the way. Okay, I can do that. So can we start at the very beginning? Okay. Um, did you always know you were going to go into musical theatre? Um, I didn't know I'd go into musical theatre, but I think I knew I'd always somehow dancing and act. Um, somehow. I think I wanted to be the new Kylie Minogue when I was little. Like, I was and like, yeah, didn't, I, I think star. everyone reenacted that um, spinning around video. <laughs> Yeah, um, so kind of had that vibe going on. And then um, and then I went to see a musical when I was about 10 and I realised that people could actually dance, sing and act uh, in one place all the time. So I kind of was like, yeah, I want to I wanna be in Cats. I want to be in Cats. That's all it I want to do. That yeah. was the first one you saw. Yeah, I wanted to be in Cats. I wanted to do the Jellicle Ball. I wanted to, I wanted all of that. It, was, it took me a long time to find out people hated cats. Like, it was a real Marmite show. And I was like, for, for me, I was just like, but it's brilliant. And they're like, yeah, but there's no plot. And I was like, well, it didn't even occur to me that there was no plot. It didn't even occur to me. <laughs> to be fair, I was, you were 10. <laughs> I was 10, and I just loved, I was like, well, there's singing and there's dancing. What, what, what do you mean plot? Like, the singing and dancing. I mean, that's just delightful. And, um... My cat's chasing her tail. <laughs> I think she right. does this. She does this to guilt trip me, which is just like I am so mentally abused by my owner and unstimulated. I'm going to play with my own tail to guilt trip her into paying me attention. Otherwise, yeah. And I'm like, she's not a neurotic cat. She's just needy. Um, she is delightful. She is the love of my life. Um, so uh, speaking of cats, and um, I yeah, big fan of cats. Um. My biggest upset was when they changed the Mungo Jerry and Rumpel teaser song completely. I was like, why did they do that? <laughs> I mean, it was so much better, the original, in my humble opinion. Um, devastated. I was like, what's this vulgar? Like, Aww. why? That's <laughs> um, so funny. Traumatised, traumatised. Never got over it. Never got over it. Um, and But now... It's so funny, because when I went to dance college, everyone wanted to be in Cats. It was like, Cats, 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 Cats. And then, um, but now, I think you really couldn't pay me to be in Cats. I'd be like, ooh, eight shows a week. Nah, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm good. I've danced in a few shows. I know what that feels like on the body on Sunday. So even if Andrew Lloyd Webber himself approached you, 
for the dog. I'd be, I, could, I mean, I'd give it, like, if it was Grizabella, of course I would do Grizabella. <laughs> of course I would do Grizabella. I just, I just, I probably, I'd probably pull every muscle in my body if I attempted to do the Jellicle Ball now. Um, so, yeah, you just, uh, you're, 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 the things that give you pleasure and the things that you know you would get pleasure from just change. And there's no sort of, uh, it's not a grief thing. It's just a, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. As you grow and change, you things just naturally fall away and new things sort of, I suppose it's, since we have this beautiful bouquet of flowers here, let's use flowers as an analogy. You know, you sort of have a plant that's growing and, you know, this year this flower grows up and you go, okay, that's that's my full expression. And when that part of you just evolves into sort of you know wilting this other flower pops up and there's this other thing and it's all you're still the same plant yeah god i'm all, i'm full of it today i mean god it's not even three o'clock i love a good analogy english lit grand here so go for it <laughs> cassidy and Allady jansen that's what we that's probably what my students call me god i love it i love it yeah. so so cats at, at that age when when you saw that were you the dancing, singing child performing at every, every, oh, possible. every possible. I was in the in in my garden with my next door neighbour Vicky Copeland, making up dance routines to singing in the rain, um, telling our parents, and the parents would come and sit in my parents' garden, and we'd entertain them with the number of singing in the rain that we'd created. I love it. I love yeah. it. What, I mean, did were people recognising and kind of boosting you at that age for for your voice? Yeah. Mm. yeah it was um I always had a great aptitude for picking up dancing so I was very good at that and in mm. my little local school I was probably one of the best you know mm. then you go to the big school and you realize you, you're not yeah. and then um, um but vocally like it was you know in that kind of fearless knowingness of youth I was just like I'm a fucking sorry I'm a great beep, put a beat there I am a badass singer and I know it like I just knew it like yeah. um and um so yeah I and people would always sort of obviously um acknowledge that and be like yeah. that is amazing well done and yeah. just, my parents she's very special help her and my parents yeah. don't play music or anything like that they're not musical at all or artistic they're, at all. they're not in the industry they were like what do we do with this thing <laughs> <laughs> what do we do with her and, and people were just like go go this way yeah um so so, that so how, kind of, how did that evolve then? Just lots of dance classes, lots of singing classes? Yeah, so I think mum would find, she'd be like, oh, Mount View do these song and dance Easter workshops. So when I was 10, I started, so Mount View very much feels like, even though I didn't train there professionally, mm-hmm. I actually went there for 18 years. I don't know if oh, my goodness. That. Yeah. I um Every summer and Easter, from when I was 10 to when I was 18, mm. I would... Uh, do the summer and Easter workshop. So it was two two weeks or one week. I think it might have been two weeks uh, a pop. So mm. that's a good four weeks a year that I'd be at Mount View doing my thing. Yeah. Sam Spencer Lane, who used to be the head of song and dance there, uh, head of dance, sorry. Um, she taught me when I was 10. So I've known her my whole life and she's become oh a very dear friend. So we, we've, we both sit there. We went for a dog walk the other day and um, we're mates now. Isn't that amazing? I was very much... She was the adult. I was the ten-year-old girl. She was yeah. my and we have ended up. It's one of my most um, cherished relationships, actually. Um, and we've gone from that getting on very well as a student and teacher, and always having a sort of kooky. We both got a very kooky sense of humour. Hmm. To uh, working together on a few shows, to suddenly realising, oh my gosh, we are very, very similar and quirky in the same way. Yeah. And going for a drink on my birthday during one uh, technical rehearsal. And she's like, we've done it. I went, what? She went, we've we've changed our relationship mm. from, from that to, to now being friends. And I yeah. went, oh, God, isn't that amazing? I love it. I, I, love, I love it so much. Um, so she was really, um, and is still a very um, important figure in my life. And, um, and she really was, much more than my local school teacher. Um, she was very much the supportive, kind, compassionate, encouraging Person. Um, she wrote my my letters of recommendation to college she was an, an advisor you know and, and I, I really um appreciate everything she did for me actually yeah oh it sounds like it sounds like a wonderful wonderful mental mentee yeah relationship 
but I'm just a, you've been training from a very young age then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I started ballet lessons when I was two and a half, which was very young. I find out now. Um, and I always did something like I would sort of do ballet and then I'd stop and do gymnastics and then I'd stop mm. and do tap and then I'd stop and do jazz and mm. then wouldn't dance for a while, come back and do ballet, you know, like yeah. and part of me is a bit like, I wish my parents had sort of said, come on, do this. Cause I think I probably would have had a better technique when I went to professional dance college at 16. Mm. But I think there's always pros and cons to each, um, way of handling things because it they, what they, what always happened was I never lost my love of it it was mm. always self-originated it always came from like I want to do it or I don't I want to do it or I don't and it was never like well you have to do it yeah um and I think that probably put in me rightly or wrongly a, a good sense of mm. what I want to do as opposed to feeling yeah. like resentful because I was being made to do it which yeah. I, I know happened to and it happens to a lot of dancers their parents see the talent and they get pushed and pushed to the point where they're just like I hate this yeah and, but but the, the other people forget like the, the, there's a mental side to dance as well. There's a sort of type of person that enjoys being told what to do. Mm. Like I've like I remember someone saying, "Oh, I hate when people tell me what to do. How could you?" And I was like, "I love it. Yeah, I literally have like nothing on it. I can do what I want to do, or in a class I get told what to do." And I was just like, "What's the?" I, I it didn't bother me. You like the discipline element, and there's degrees of that. So I think what I would say is, yes, obviously there's a physical facility for for different types of dancers, and obviously the ultimate is the, the ballerina facility, the turnout, the feet, the legs, and everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but also what goes with with that, and you have to have both, is the mentality. Like you have to have the ballerina body and the ballerina mentality, which is very strict discipline mm. super super um be happy to be controlled by other beings yeah and not feeling like you're not uh, doing it but you're what's what i mean you're causatively deciding to be controlled by other human beings so right. it is still your choice does that make sense so it's like the, no it does it's like you are it, you are kind of choosing to be there and expressing yourself through dance but that requires someone else to kind of puppeteer. <laughs> exactly. And you're willingly putting yourself in that position of being puppeteered. Yeah. So you don't mind being puppeteered. Yeah. Like it's quite a, oh yeah, actually that does make sense. Yeah. You know. But it's, it's also just that trust element and you get this across the arts in general is relying on a director or relying on musicians or something to be able to do their job to make the whole performance look good as a whole. Yeah. 100%. So what made you choose, where, where did you go to dance school, drama school? Um, performing arts school. So it was mainly dance. So we did the whole ballet at nine o'clock every day. Oh gosh, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. But yes, I did. Um, and then there was probably like two to four drama lessons each week, mm -hmm. two to four singing lessons each week. So where yeah, went to go? London Studio Centre and Millennium Dance. Okay. What, what made you choose that over Mountview, which you'd had this kind of long-term relationship with? I don't know if it's changed, but Mountview didn't accept students till they're 18. Right. And I went when I was 16. Otherwise, I would, would have very much gone to Mountview. Um, yeah. It was my... my Because obviously, I'd grown up. I really had grown up, felt like I'd grown up there. Yeah. Every summer in Easter. Um, very much felt, felt like my stomping ground. And I made a lot of friends because there was quite a few girls and boys sometimes that would do... Um, the summaries, the workshops, um, regularly like me. Mm. Um, so you left school at 16. I did. Um, um, I was, was actually that, 15 because I'm a summer baby. Such a child. Was was that an encouraged decision or a contested decision? Encouraged. Yeah. My, my parents were, I think because they just had no clue <laughs> as to what exactly this profession entailed, hmm. that they just went, okay, well, go do this thing that everyone keeps telling us you're very good at. Yeah. So um, so there was no go get a degree, go to uni, go get your A-levels, nothing. Mm -hmm. Which I, I have to really be grateful to my parents for because I think I I would have hated to, I just, I always knew what I wanted to do. Mm. Not a lot of people have that. I was always confused when people didn't have that knowledge of what they wanted to do I was like how can you not know what you want to do like yeah. it, it, I didn't understand other people not having that 
Um, and it wasn't in an arrogant way. I was just, I had no comprehension of mm. not having a passion. That yeah. was your life drive, you know. I was like, how can you exist and not have a life purpose that keeps you up at night? I was yeah. like, I don't understand how you can just kind of go, oh, I'll probably get a job and I'll probably mm -hmm. have some kids. And I'd be like, yeah, but what about the other stuff? And they're like, what other stuff? And I was like, the other stuff. Yeah. The, the, and, um, and then I've realised that that's sort of more normal. Right. <laughs> you know, I 100% get what, get what you mean by it. Like, I mean, my personal was similar. I always wanted to work in theatre and film. Not quite sure what in theatre and film, but it was always that. And because of that passion and that kind of drive and drive and drive, when, when it didn't come easy or, or didn't come as expected I think there came quite a downfall with that at the same time do you know what I mean yeah did, did you ever have that kind of journey or was it quite building up along the way you know it was like I think everyone's journey in mm. show business is is the the, the 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 wonderful thing and the tragic thing about theatre is you get the highest highs, you also get the lowest lows. Most people have sort of that, so we have these extreme peaks and extreme troughs. And I think it really, um, if you can learn to sort of not worry about that and and somehow sort of deset i think you get desensitized i think you still get upset but i think you get desensitized to the peaks and the troughs um or you just you just yeah desensitized is a good word so you sort of really enjoy the highs you're like this is amazing but you get used to them you're like oh another press night another amazing frock well oh, that's a great picture of me yeah. champagne thank you very much and then you kind of know that at some point without any sadness you're going to be sat at home in your living room on a Sunday in your onesie probably for three days watching, <laughs> binge watching Netflix, waiting to hear on an audition, yeah. you know? So, and I think we become very, and I think theatre people, and, and I, I haven't done film, but we are constantly um, in a flux. Mm -hmm. There's always, um, we know no job is forever. We know it's finite for a short period of time. So we're already thinking about what happens next. Whereas most people, they're like, that's my job. Okay, I don't have to think about that. What's the other parts of my life for, for pleasure, leisure, and and whatever? We're constantly going. What's next? What's next? What's next? Whilst trying to be committed to this new job, which is very um, all-consuming because it's new and we've got to learn lines and everything. Whereas most people don't have to have that much attention on their day job. Yeah, it's just it is what it is. Um, and I think with all of that constant change, constant uncertainty we get certain in the uncertainty. Mm. We're like, I know that my life is uncertain and I'm certain in that. Oh, I'm coming out of... I'm just... Yeah, I'm tired today. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. Maybe I had a good night's sleep. It was probably the antihistamine I took last night. Let's just say it. It was probably the antihistamine. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I'm straight on the antihistamine this week. <laughs> Suddenly, shut up. <laughs> oh, God. No, I... I... I get it. And do you think that kind of desensitization, as you you phrase it, is that comes with just time? Yeah. Or is there kind of other tricks and techniques that you can use? I think time. Yeah. Time, and I think you know, I think a lot of actors get into um, psychology. The other thing about um, this desensitization that we were just talking about. Um, again, I read read an article. I think on this. How do they stop? Um, jet pilots uh, getting sick from the g-force throwing up and passing out okay how do they do that and stop them mostly just stop them freaking out when they're in a forced nosedive how do they stop pilots from essentially having panic attacks because it's terrifying right <laughs> they throw them into a forced drop over and over again until they stop freaking out right okay so practice essentially the thing that scares the crap out of you hope I hope that's okay. So this the thing that scares you the most, or the thing that's really scaring you that you have to be able to do, mm -hmm. you either you, you the only way 
to stop your body thinking it's going to die is to repeatedly put it into this thing where you go, oh, hang on, I didn't freak out quite quite as much this time. And that's that's what happens to a degree, I think, with actors. Mm. We, we, we're going, the number one human fear apparently isn't dying, it's talking in public. <laughs> right, so we, we are choosing to do mm-hmm. the thing that, that innately terrifies human beings the most, yeah. right? And somehow we get a perverse pleasure out of it. Like, what? And how do we do that? We we either naturally have an innate quality where we don't care what other people mm. think, which is rare for an actor, mm. uh, or we sort of love this performance so much that we desensitize ourselves to the terror of standing mm. and being looked at. Mm. Like, it's a weird thing to do to yourself. Did you did you get that kind of stage fright when you were starting out? Yeah. 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 Do you think freezing moments or just kind of pre-terror pre-show terror trying to think i was mostly auditions i Mm. sucked at auditions when i left college i really really i think that's probably why i started reading lots of spiritual books and not deliberately to help that i just happened to read them and then they Mm. happened to help the realizing what i was realizing my psychological habits that were withholding me from enjoying something that I enjoy like I you sort of realize that everything's you right um and when I was really tiny apparently super like because I was two and a half or three when I was doing ballet lessons oh this is cute Emma Bunton one of the Spice Girls Mm -hmm. she was playing the the sugar plum fairy and I was one of the fairies that were behind her apparently apparently because I was so diddy um we were all supposed to sort of hop off stage in line and I got so confused I just went is it time to go off stage yet to everybody and then the, the ballet teacher had to come pick me up and carry me off stage um, so I upstaged Emma Bunton I'm really sorry Emma um uh in my confusion um and it's um, <laughs> so funny isn't it and so I think there was some kind of like not quite and I think when I was um doing tap a tap show I used to get very um disoriented on stage with the lights and the costumes and I, I would sort of I remember feeling very um uh, I suppose it was a form of sort of stage fright mm. I was too young to know what's happening I just got very overwhelmed everything yeah surreal yeah. And, it, and then you sort of work out as you get older like oh that, that's what it is and you don't even name it anything at that age do you, you just go oh I feel a bit scared and I'm just gonna yeah. save my line and, and you realize it was terrible and you're like oh that was terrible and I, d- I don't know you just sort of yeah sort of fail forwards I suppose God, you're good. good on the lines today <laughs> what? what has happened I don't know I would say I've meditated but I don't meditate I don't know I love it I'm just thinking soundbite 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 <laughs> So you graduated uh, from from dance school and stage school, um, yeah. and then did did you get an agent off the back of that, or was it just straight into kind of open calls auditions? I um, I did get an agent, uh, and and I think I like to tell how not very good the beginning of my career was because I think it's really helpful, particularly mm. now for how rough it is for new graduates. Oh. So I graduated and I was absolutely clueless as to how to get an agent. And mm-hmm. I didn't get an agent when I graduated. Um, I managed to get one, I think, by sending off a, a CD recording of me singing mm-hmm. on a trial period. And I was just hopeless. Like, I was thinking I was waiting tables and they kept giving me auditions when I was having a shift. And I was like, I've got a shift and I'd have to call it. And I hated the whole calling in sick for a shift when I wasn't sick and then going to this audition yeah. and just messing up the audition. And um, and I, I I just wasn't... I was just clueless. I wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't talented. I was just absolutely clueless, unworldly. Yeah, unworldly is a good description. And um, and they dropped me. They dropped me, and I was like, and I remember not even really caring because I was just like, I don't know what the hell I'm. I don't know how to get to where I want to be. I don't know how to get there, and this thing isn't really working with this agent. Mm-hmm. And then um, I carried on waiting tables. I waited tables for about three years. I was recording my own pop music, which I was really pleased with. And then out of the blue, some friends of mine from Millennium Performing Arts called me and said, will I be Peppermint Patty and Snoop the Musical above the Rosemary Branch Theatre? And um, I, of course, said yes. And it was probably my first experience of actually, again, I I look and I'm like, I was so naive. 
I think mm. I probably still am, but just so just like not quite there at, 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 at sort of relatively, I think, I think 20, you should be a bit more there really. Mm. Um, my God, I really was that unworldly. Um, so we did this show. I was sort of hopelessly clueless as to actually what the full intention of this show was. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is how not quite aware I was. I was really a singer and a dancer, mm -hmm. and all my waiting table friends came to see the show. One of them said to me, we've always said you're a singer and a dancer. He goes, but you're a really good actress, and you're really funny. And I remember actually just when he said that going, oh, yeah, I'm acting. How? How? I mean, that's literally what went through my head. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing in the scenes before I sing. Yeah. Honestly, it's not even like a low IQ. It's just complete dissociation <laughs> from the world that I inhabit. It, it, it sounds like, I mean, your training was on the dancing and the singing. Yeah. Like, that's what you think about. And that I guess that's, if, if the acting is coming naturally to you, you're not really thinking about it. it yeah, and I think it was very much that. Um, and... Um, Anyway, I got a, I got another agent out of that very easily, and it was much more successful. Mm -hmm. I think they kind of had um, reality on what the product was and mm -hmm. what it felt like to be part of that product of, of a theatre production, and uh, and how much fun it was to be part of that type of team. Because you know, it's not college is not that college is very different from being in a cast. Yeah, and until you've been in a cast, you don't realise what what the oh, it's, is. It's, it's, I've never. The only way I've ever been able to describe that experience to people is just like you become family overnight. Yeah. And that's that's the only way I can think to describe it because it's so intimate so quickly. Yeah. You sort of like have this immediate family, but you also yeah. know that it's gonna immediately disperse. So there's yeah. no there's no grief or upset about that. It's just mm -hmm. like you integrate and you you come apart and, and then you might pick it up again in another and again, it goes back to that. You just get desensitized to change. Mm. Just like it's changing all the time. And you you fully embrace it when it's happening and you fully let it go when it's gone. Mm. So I think it's actually very he healthy mm. um, to to have that desensitization because I think it sort of gives you benefits in other areas of your life where you're like, you can really, really have something and also be completely okay with not having it because yeah. you know that you're always, excuse me, you're always you whenever anything else outside of you is going on. Right. So, um got got this agent, did really well, started to get auditions for things, got um a, a comedy thing at the Canal Cafe called News Review, which was Britain's is Britain's longest running comedy show. Really cut my teeth that way. I was terrified. I mean basically yeah. we talk about without going on about it, had the sort of stage fright thing going on with that, and then realized as I got in front of an audience. I had this real thing where I was mostly terrified before getting on stage, and then the second I get on stage in front of an audience, a whole other thing overtakes me, and yeah. I'm very funny. And I realised that in this sort of comedy show, um, and I got I get a lot more confident when I've got an audience. And and I've realised the mechanism of that is is basically when there's only a few people looking at you and they can stop and critique you during rehearsals, you feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Whereas the second you're on stage, there's only one big blob. You're only confronting yeah. one thing. It's one audience. It's not... It, there's like a barrier between... Yeah. There's well. a barrier. You know they're not going to suddenly go, that was shit. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Start again. You know, you're fully immersed in it and you have much more control as a performer because... Um, and you... It's much easier to confront one thing in five different things mm -hmm. you know I think that's something of that mm -hmm. so I did that comedy show I then got uh, another lead in another Fringe musical but it was a really great Fringe musical called Brenda Blighty and Detective which was with Sam Spencer Lane choreographing mm -hmm. and I got seen in that by the producers of Footloose who then cast me as Rusty and Footloose which was a, a real um, real learning curve for me touring the UK in uh, the European premiere of Footloose which was amazing I, I loved it and you got to see the whole country and I, I really at the time, I, I, I loved um, being on tour. Yeah. Um, and I loved, I loved doing the show so much because it was my first period of actually being in a show for a very, very long time. It was nearly mm. a year contract, I think. Actually, maybe it wasn't quite that long, but... Um, uh, I mean, for, for, a, um, for, a, for a young actor, musical theatre actually starting out, like, that's the gold contract, isn't it? Like, a year yeah. long, you're like... <laughs> that was just so anyone watching this who's worrying about not getting a job for the first, that first profession I would say first proper paid proper stable job 
was when I was 23 mm-hmm. and I'd left college at 18. Right. Five years. A really good five years. And then after that, I didn't, you know, I'd have like a year out and then get another show, a year out, get another show. Like it was really kind of higgledy piggledy. And you, even when you think you've got that first stable job and you've got all the great reviews and you suddenly mm-hmm. understand the business and you've got connections, you, you're, it takes a long time to stabilize your reputation in this industry right. um, to, to get a little bit more regular work really. And um, don't, don't worry. Like, like I, I really didn't, I, I would say, I would say I kind of got, got a name mm-hmm. when I did the Carol King show. Right. And that was a, that was a long, I was when I was 34, 34, I got that. Right. So, and I've been working since I was, probably since I was 23. So don't give up when your agent drops you, when you're 19, you can still win Olivier a long time later. You'll be all right. Is what Yay, I'm saying. Just hang in there, Just hang in there, enjoy the journey. Don't take anything personally, and yeah. What's I mean? I mean, I, we've talked about, I guess, this kind of naivety of kind of, I guess, growing up with this musical theatre training and stuff. But this idea that you had in your head, you wanted to be this big, big performer. Does that kind of match up to what you thought it would be? Good question. So the, the the imaginary idea of... Yeah, you know, like the reality versus the... Gosh, I can't even remember what I thought it would have felt like when I was young. Um, I suppose sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's periods, or there can be periods rather, where everything's going right. Mm. And it might be a week or a few months. They're not very often, <laughs> like where everything's going right. Most, you know, most, most things are going right all the time, but when you feel like, whoa, everything's going really, really well right mm. now, um, it feels how you imagined, but they're very fleeting. Mm. And that's not, there's no sadness in that. It's just, it, that's life, you mm. know, in or, in or out of showbiz. It's like when, when the finances are great, when the, the inner joy is great, when you, when you like yourself, when you're not having any self-flagellations, when you feel confident in your job, when your friends are good, when you feel um, mm. very causative in your life, um, when um, uh, you're when you're working with people that inspire you, when there's extra additional benefits to the job, when when you just feel like everything is sort of causing this sort of growth in all mm. areas of your life, that's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. It's a wonderful feeling. And sometimes it's only half of it's going well, but it's still nice. But when it's all going well, you're like, you know it as well. You're like, yeah. wow, everything's going really well. No, this is so no. nice. It's almost like a powerful wave, really, isn't it? That's a nice way of describing it. Like, like the, the there's like, there's this going on and then suddenly you just get that big wave and you're on a surfboard and you're like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy <laughs> this. And you know it won't last again, but you're yeah. like, I'm just going to enjoy this because this is really nice. So to talk... The, the Carol King show, beautiful. What what was that like? That was, you know, and I, and I probably hinted at that. It was really the job that mm. it, it it just fitted me like a glove. Mm. Um, all the things I'm good at were were what were required from that role. Yeah. Um, it paid well. Um, it gave me lots of PR. It was great mm. positioning. Um, I there was so many pleasurable things that were uh, that came from from the from the show I took over from a very good friend of mine Katie Braben um so that even the passing of the baton f- mm-hmm. from her to me was pleasurable because she was my mate yeah you know and often you might be taking over from another leading lady that you might like but you might not know very well and you feel a bit weird but with Katie it was like she's such a lovely human mm-hmm. being with uh, with with that transition do you study what they've done before or do you just kind of go in with fresh eyes um I saw her twice as a mate uh Mm -hmm. watching the show um and then once when I I knew I was taking over and wanted to to be honest the last time I watched her do it I wasn't really watching her I was um watching all the quick changes there's something like 28 quick changes it's it's something it might be might be a bit less than that but it's it's a lot i mean i guess you are telling a life story and there's a lot of costume changes in there 
costume, full costume and wig changes. And obviously, when you, when the first time, the first two times I watched the show, mm. I was watching it as a punter, just going, "I love this. I love this show. This is the best commercial musical I'd seen since Wicked." Was my opinion, right? I loved it. I was. I just thought it was brilliant writing. It was a play with music. It was. I just loved it. I. I, I I was a big fan of the show. And um, and then the last time I watched it, I was watching the technical side of it. And I remember going, oh, my God. <laughs> she's just come off stage in, like, 10 seconds and on a complete wig and costume change. Complete shoes, trousers, dress. Yeah. In 10 seconds. And I was like, and she's just done it again. And again. <laughs> and again. And, oh, I was like... Whew. Because... This is where experience comes into this profession. Mm. And, you know, I think some people come into this profession and if their family are in any way theatrical, you get told about the backstage technical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. When you're very much just like, I love singing! You know, that's really <laughs> the essence of me, right? Um, no freaking clue of any practical side of things. Um, was the... The experience I, I learned the painful way, which was just hopeless naivety, was, okay, the things that trip you up as an actor aren't not... They Obviously, you need to learn your lines. You need to know where you're standing. It will be messing up a quick change. Mm -hmm. It will screw you up more than anything else because mm -hmm. all your attention will be on, my wig's not 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 on. Right. And you won't be in the scene at all. Mm -hmm. And in a show like that, when there's, like, a ridiculous amount of quick changes, I was like, if... I need to drill those quick changes with an inch of my life. Mm -hmm. Having done a lot of quick changes and knowing you let everybody else, you assist other people in their job at that moment. It's not right. about you. You're like, you need my right foot. You need my left foot. My arms need to be here. Yeah. My wig needs to come off first. I just need to let them do yeah. their, their thing. Right? It's, it's not you putting on clothes. It's other people putting clothes on you. It's, it's their job at that point. You, yeah. you're just, you just facilitate them. You just make their job easier. And knowing that those are choreograph moments and getting those done will make everything that's, that I need to do possible. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm really proud of this, every single time we did the quick change in technical rehearsal, mm -hmm. we nailed it first time. And when we did the very, very last one, I literally, is this, the, are kids going to watch this? Yeah. <laughs> I literally went, yes, you motherfuckers! Because every quick change we got right first time, and I need, and also I had so little time to rehearse. Like it was, it's such a big role. Yeah, you, like you just need every. And I remember just going through everything in my head. I wrote down every quick change. I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go there. Mm. That part of it was was pro almost more important than the on stage stuff because actually she often just walks on stage and sits at the piano. <laughs> oh, and the other thing was you had to learn how to mind piano. And give special, and you have to. You know what? I never thought about that actually. Because I, I play piano, right? But you sort of have to mime a specific way, so you always have to put your hands, your your hands cued the camera. Mm. Uh, your hands cued the MD, who could see your hands on a bird's eye camera. Yeah. So you always had to do it so they could see your hands, and you would never play like that. You'd never no. ever stop playing like that. So you had to sort of do this unnatural thing, right? And did they just cut the strings so you can like press the keys? You wish they had. No, they made these really weird pianos that were like someone giving you a really weak hand shape. They were like, <laughs> they were horrible to play. They were horrible. They were like spongy and they had no resistance to them. I wish they'd, yeah, just had a silenced piano, but I don't know why they did them like that. Mm. Um, Wait, I mean, you're playing a real life character in, in that. Um, how did you go about prepping with that? Did you... Like, did you get to spend some time with Carol King, or did 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 was it just the story? And like, okay, I'm thinking about this as fiction. Very much thinking of it as honouring a human being that still existed mm -hmm. because she's still alive, mm -hmm. and there's you. You can't just interpret it how you would prefer to interpret something, which often is what happens. You're in a show, and you're like, I'm really good at doing this kind of thing, and depending on the director, some directors, you know are like they want to push you and be like don't make your safe choice don't make the choice that you know you're good at and they'll they'll push you for different things but with this one it was there is only one option yeah is how carol would do it and you're like oh and it mostly it was my instincts but there were a couple of places that were the opposite of everything i would ever do as me as someone else's and i was like oh god and I, he'd always come back mark bruni the american director and be like yes 
you're doing that and I'd be like I just find it so hard I'm sorry I'm sorry that one moment I know I know I've got to be this way not that way you know um and I it was a lovely challenge because you're always like I have to think her way and only her way there is no I'm just gonna be a bit more the way I like I would like to do this and I loved that and it was actually really pleasurable to go I love how she she loves I remember watching her um a really helpful thing she did was after I've been playing the role for nine months and Mm -hmm. then I was supposed to sing with her at Hyde Park I rehearsed with her and then we were done and she said look would you like to stay around and watch me rehearse just in case you want to pick up any mannerisms or any isms that I have and I was like yeah that'd be amazing Mm -hmm. and she told me a couple of things that were like little private moments for her of of big moments in her life like how she was thinking and I I've never told anyone what they were I just went thank you I will put them in the show no one will know they were in the show but they they are from her they're they're her thoughts at that moment right yeah and um uh, I also noticed how she was with her band and I love so I put, I put, I tried to take on that quality as much as possible. I was like, that's how much she loves other musicians. And I always wanted to, to have the essence of her absolute. She wanted other people to be everything they could be as an artist. Mm-hmm. She wants that. She was like, I want them to love and her appreciation of music is so not ego driven. Mm-hmm. There's no ego. It's so the pleasure of someone else becoming all they can be mm. in their artistry is is her joy. That's yeah. her joy. It's such a lovely thing to embody every night. Mm. Such a lovely, lovely sensation. Um, and and then by the time she saw me in the show, she said nice things to me, and and I and I. I was really pleased that I'd done all that work. She mm-hmm. she actually said nice things. And I was like, okay, good. Okay, I've done a good job. You know? Pressure off, pressure off. Yeah. So was that, that show was kind of a turning point for you. Very much. Very, very much, yeah. was it Was it that show that led to Leading Ladies? Yes. Because how did, how did that happen? <laughs> I know, it's very much one of those, it was the phone call from heaven, which we've, we've all, heard about but when they happen to you they are lovely yeah they are very very lovely hi would you like an absolutely game-changing job and you don't have to audition we're just going to pay you a nice amount of money and you get to work with world-class performers Mm. um and you're like oh yes the the thing that astonishes me about that that job i guess for all three of you was the fact that you just got to sing the best show <laughs> and you got to belt them and you like you just got to sing you know I am um, we you know we picked all the songs ourselves mm-hmm. so it's really nice when people like our song choices because yeah. it really was the three of us creating this yeah um we did the vocal harmony uh, vocal arrangements as well so it really was our baby and when when and brian rowling um produced it yeah. and um it really was a, a, it wasn't a okay we're going to give you these songs this is how we're going to do it it, it was mm-hmm. our album and i i am so proud of it i think brian did an amazing uh, production mix yeah. and, and and the songs sound great and obviously working with Beverly and Amber is was a, an absolute pinch me I'm dreaming you know did you know them before you you became no. a duo so you were no. really learning each other and your voices and how to work together at the same time yeah wow what an experience that must have been really it, it really was and again um very pleasurable um largely because of the personalities involved mm-hmm. and the we had a lot of support from the record label. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, we really had, you know, we had the hair and makeup teams, you know, everyone was, there was just this massive layer of support for us and it, mm-hmm. and it felt wonderful. Um, it was like being thrown at the deep end. So mm-hmm. I, I, I very much was, because I had to be treated with parity to two megastars. Yeah. And, and with no sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, condescension to myself I'm I'm nowhere near as well known as they are mm-hmm. but having to be treated at every interview and everything Equal. with the level that they're treated at was very weird mm. 
it was very, very weird. Um, so there's me like meeting Graham Norton, um, uh, chatting to Hugh Bonneville, saying hi to Kenneth Branagh, um, all these weird, and, and obviously they are naturally, because I'm part of this trio, treating me with some probably a bit more interest than they normally ever would have. Mm. Um, in not in a bad way and just mm. the it's just the isness it's the actuality of what's happening yeah. it, was, it was amazing yeah. and I really hadn't it really sort of went from here to there it yeah. was no gradient there was no like middle steps it yeah. was just like and you're going to be treated as famous even if you're not um which I was think that's just some sometimes how it happens you know and yeah and I uh, ride it I did. I did. I mean, it was intense. It's an intense leap, but um, I, I, I had the. It was. I, I still pinch myself. I was on the Graham Norton sofa. I can't believe I was there. You know, and um, uh, and is that I, a show fun to do? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was because because one, you've got two, one maybe two times to do the, the song correctly. Uh -huh. um, it's all filmed live, but pre-recorded sort of thing. And um, most of it, the thing about being a girl is they have to do so much hair and makeup on you. And if you're running behind and you've got to get in the dress and there's this whole clock thing ticking and then you're sort of on and then you're off and it is fun, but also you sort of go, you can't mess it up. Right. So they were sort of, it was, yeah, it was, it was intense. It was wonderful, but intense is the best way to describe these things. But with, with, I guess, putting the album together and stuff like that, I mean, each of you have such big voices, mm. you know, like there's, there's no hiding any one of your voices. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, did you really have to kind of practice, like, I guess, balancing them? No, no. You just let all loose. Of, no, all of us know how to blend. Mm. So um, instinctively. Mm. So there was no problem with that at all. That's good. For, what, what's your favorite track on that one? Um, vocally, it was "We Still Love Me Tomorrow." Mm. It was the one we just sat in the room, and, and the producers went, "Why don't you just see what happens?" And we yeah. all sang three part harmony the whole way through, and that's basically what we recorded. Mm. Like the blend, we all said the blend of our voices was spooky. Yeah, like the actual the three of our voices for whatever reason that all of these frequencies got touched on mm. um, in the blend, and it was really special. Yeah. And we all kind of were like, well, that's unusually good. Yeah. Um, Is there going to be a leading ladies too? Who knows? I mean, nothing in the, nothing bubbling at the moment, but mm. yeah, I mean, God, who knows? Who knows? I guess, I guess you could always do the thing if, if, if one person can't do it, you're like, oh. We, we contractually are all replaceable. <laughs> Just so you know, keeps you grounded. Well, that's, that's when you're, like, you could be the one on the, <laughs> on the line, but... Yeah, yeah, you could be the last man standing, <laughs> like, just to keep everything really real, you know. <laughs> so from th from that, you went to Anne Juliet? No, from that, I went into Chess. Oh, Chess, yeah. And um, Chess, release... Uh, chess, Man of La Mancha, mm -hmm. releasing my own album, and mm. uh, yeah, then... Oh, Release my own album, and then oh, and then Anne Juliet, yeah. What was that like releasing your own album after having the kind of backup of? I I did miss having the girls, yeah. um, particularly Beverly because she's so motherly, mm. and she's such a big sister presence, and she yeah. still is very much big sister for me. Um, so um, but I'm really pleased I'd done Leading Ladies because I felt like I, um. I wasn't doing it for the first time by myself, mm -hmm. even though I was by myself, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, um, it went well. It w my, the album I, I am so proud of. Um, there's certain things around it that I was like, I was really unhappy with some of the quality of the, of the videos that I filmed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and there's not a lot you can do about it when, because we had to get the album out very quickly because of timings. And so there's some things that I'm like, no, that wasn't great. And it wasn't good enough. But there were a lot of things. It was great. Again, I managed to get on lots of TV shows with, with my own name, which I could not 
actually fathom. Yeah. I was agog that BBC Breakfast agreed to have me on, which mm-hmm. is the most reactive, one of the most reactive slots you can get on TV. Yeah. Like they turned down ridiculous. I t- I'd heard, I'd seen, I got, I got shown the list of who they turned down to do that slot. And these are mega stars. <laughs> and so I cannot fathom yeah. how on earth I got that slot. I, I just have no idea. And I actually sent my um, my marketing, uh, my PR marketing person, who was, who was hired by the label, but I sent them champagne because I just went, how on earth did you get me on that? Like, how did you pull that off? Um, I guess at some point it is kind of putting um, all humility aside and going, no, I've actually earned this position now. You know, I've done, yeah. I've done the dues, I've, I've done the hard work, I've created some amazing content. And just gone. I can yeah, enjoy I, this I, element now. And I suppose you know that there's all of that, and then sometimes the wind is just blowing in your favour. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just you're in a sailing ship. Here we, I'm off again. I'm off again. You're in a sailing ship. Everything's aligned. Your crew are good. Everything's good. And then you just get a really good behind wind. Yeah. And I think that those are sometimes we you have to say that that is also a factor in mm-hmm. any success in your life. Yeah. Is and I think the I think you get better and better and better at capitalizing and making the most of when everything's going right you're like everything's going right right now let's make sure i get as much out of this as possible so mm-hmm. the next time we get a good wind we're already sort of moving you know yeah. i think you just get much more savvy yeah so when when are you back in the theater well i am I hope you know that I got the uh, I got a role in the Mouse Trap, which mm-hmm. is the longest running show ever. Yeah, and, um, but I'm only going to be in it for eight weeks, um, and uh, it's my first West End play. And um, how are you I'm, feeling about that? No jazz hands, no belters. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm okay. I have done a couple of plays before, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm. I'm totally. I feel totally fine with it. Yeah. Um, I, it's a great little show that it's great it's really yeah. i swear about 10 years ago and i really i was like oh it's great it's a, there's a reason why it's been running this long there yeah. is a reason you know yeah. it's a good show and um i'm really excited i'm really excited and it's also going to be um this double cast because of covid so if any bubble goes down you have another bubble so that's really, brilliant it's brilliant so we're actually only doing half the shows each week mm-hmm. so it's going to be a very nice sort of into step to getting into eight shows a week and singing my head off again yeah it's gonna be nice it's gonna be nice it's a lot more dialogue they they talk a lot in plays i was like there's we're saying stuff again shouldn't there be a song and some jazz hands uh no joking um it's uh have rehearsal started then uh, on monday it's uh what is it today tuesday yeah oh i was i I'm so excited for everyone getting back into rehearsal rooms. <laughs> I, because I, I, you know, I, and I'm, I, and you really feel like the numbers are so low. Everything's going so well. I think we're going to open on May seventeenth, as the government stated, which yeah. is very exciting. It feels very, like, oh gosh, this thing we've all been waiting for is mm-hmm. is sort of going to happen. And it's so lovely because I, Adam Spiegel is producing the Mouse Trap, and he sent a lovely email last week. Um, saying, uh, you know, obviously he's he's very excited to sort of be part of the the, the push of the industry mm-hmm. to reopen, and and I just really thought, my God, you've really you're really putting everything on the line, mm. not because you might lose loads of money, yeah. And I just thought the the producers that are willing to be right at the front are clearly, um, I think, the real driving force of this industry because they are about the industry obviously everyone wants to make money we live on an economic planet but we are there's always you can make money doing stock market is what if you choose to make money in in the arts those that are making the money in the arts because they love the arts are the ones willing to put their finances on the line Mm -hmm. to serve the industry that served them well oh Mm -hmm. god i'm off again i'm off again but no, you're right though. It, it, it's worth respecting, you know. I mean, producers. I think, considering some of the conversations that have come out of COVID and the arts industry being shut down and stuff like that, I feel like producers have had a bit of a hard time. <laughs> in ter- like 
everyone's always like they always get the money and then everyone else who's like freelancers they get left behind blah 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 and to some extent that is true but at the same time they are the ones taking the risk and you're right in terms of reopening and putting themselves on the line it is worth respecting and acknowledging it and i'm sorry just to be clarified i'm not saying all producers yes yes Um, i'm saying some good ones (laughs) but some who shall remain nameless have been surprisingly um leaving themselves open to different interpretations of their behavior and we were were like oh yeah okay that's how you feel thank you thank you very much some have done the opposite and been apps andrew lloyd webber for example has been amazing like more than I ever thought he'd be. He was, yeah. he's been banging the drum louder than anybody, mm. um, t- desperately trying to get this industry back on its feet and proving time and time again, it is safe, it is safe, it is safe. Mm-hmm. We don't need social distancing in theatres. We have the technology to handle this. Mm-hmm. And he has never backed down. Mm-hmm. And he is putting his money where his mouth is. And he is putting Cinderella on. And he is, yeah. you know, like, you're just like, oh, wow, you genuinely aren't in this for the money. You're in it for the artistry and oh, for yeah. the industry and for the for the community, you know? Mm-hmm. And you just go, yeah, go on, Andrew. Yeah. You know, oh, so I think I think Cinderella's kind of almost leading the way, isn't it, in terms yeah. of opening up and all the musical theatre fans are just, like, getting so excited about song releases coming out and stuff like that. They're just, um, yeah, I think pe- people are ready now, you know? Um, I know some people are kind of a bit, I don't know, nervous about things opening up again and stuff like that. But I, th- I think theatres have, have got a good enough support system to... Yeah, and also the statistics are very good worldwide. There's never been an outbreak of COVID sourced from any theatre. It's never happened. Mm-hmm. So it is actually very, very safe statistically. Mm-hmm. Also, much as there's a lot of people that are, are openly saying they're nervous about going, there's a lot of people that have already booked their tickets. Yeah. And it was interesting that Le Mis, when it was announced before that the, the lockdown 2.0, um, Le Mis sold out in 48 hours. God, so, actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, so so there obviously are very loud people saying how scared they are. There's obviously a lot of people that aren't yeah. scared. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, negativity always shouts loudest, but... Exactly, exactly I think. I think. I think very much that is like bad news travels farthest and then the the people that are just doing and not scared are just doing the doingnesses they're just like i'm not scared so i'm going to do this they're not going on facebook going i'm not scared by the way they're just booking tickets booking this booking this booking this because they want to yeah and um do you have your tickets booked what's the first show you're gonna see funnily enough i'm seeing cinderella oh i'm so jealous do you know what i want to see um i want to see um live big band jazz like that kind of vibe like i recently a couple of about a week ago i watched whiplash which i know i should have seen ages ago and i'm a massive yeah massive but i mean you sing at ronnie scott's don't you i do i love ronnie scott i mean i'm a big band musician myself so i would play saxophone and clarinet i was right with the wind instrument yeah i was like like, you're a blower i just went (laughs) That's, I didn't mean that to sound... I meant that in the musician way. <laughs> I really did. There you go. That's a good sound bite. Baby. That's a good sound bite. I went, oh, she's a blower. <laughs> oh, I can't tell my mum that. <laughs> she's literally waiting. Um, um, when she gets back from work, she's like, oh, my God, just, you're talking to Cassidy Jansen today. <laughs> I can't tell her that. I know. I'm like... I'm like everyone has this sort of idea of what I'm like, and then I have um, I am my my humor is so naughty. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, you no. Know, so, uh, yeah. Blah blah blah. Um, Clara and saxophone. For... No, I did. I literally I got an image, and I was like, "You're you know, you're a wind instrument." Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, I played everything under the sun over the years, but um, always come back to that. Piano is the one I always wish I continued with. It's very useful. Yeah. Like I, I definitely I started, but it's just one of those things you like get bored of it and and stop. But um, oh no, dream dream to play a Ronnie Scott's one time because definitely head there for for drinks after <laughs> after dinner quite a lot. It's just the vibe there is amazing. You know, I have a residency there as well, which mm. is going to be open in June. Oh, amazing! Okay, 
Um, so that's, I'm coming. It's kicking off on the 5th or the 11th of June. Uh, so the, the Saturday brunches, basically. <clears throat> uh, so me and my guests each week and my four-piece band. So that's great. And then, so that's going to be... But but anyway, going back to Whiplash, the movie, um, I really want to see... Uh, so I was watching it. I was like, how have I not seen this movie? And, and mm. then the music in it is just such my vibe. I was like, yeah. oh, it's so my vibe. And uh, I was like, I've got to be in a room with jazz musicians, mm. giving it full... Just I think Whiplash does well at getting that almost psychedelic element of jazz. Yeah. Like, I have not quite seen a film which gets that element, but it, it is exactly. proper jazz. You know, it, it, that. It's got the essence mm. of what what it is. Yeah. You know, and I love that. And I'm not a massive fan of like weird improvisational jazz. Mm. It, it it sort of uh, towed the line very well mm. with being accessible because it had a lot of musicality in the, mm. uh, in the uh, charts and the orchestrations, but it did also allow for the crazy drum things, crazy drum solos, and uh, it didn't get, I mean, sound, I think it won Best Sound Mixing or something, well, it was certainly mm. Oscar nominated because um, it it captured the essence of what it of what we want jazz to sound like and i was like oh god it's so if, if someone came along with like a jazz jukebox musical you'd be like i'm up I'm i'd here. be like by the way guys <laughs> i'm really good at singing jazz what kind of music do you do in your brunches um i do well actually they're musical theater that was their first branching right. out into musical theater so it is specifically musical mm -hmm. theater style singing um but my my first love was harry connick jr if I sang with Harry Connick Jr. and his big band, I'd be like, I can die now. Yeah. I'm, that's it. There is nothing this lifetime is going to be any better than that. And everything would be downhill. So <laughs> maybe I should never sing with Harry Connick Jr. Maybe not. Although it could be worth it. It could be worth it. <laughs> and that Tony Bennett, I think. Oh God! Just those mute. I love that Tony is still going. Mm -hmm. He's like the last of that era. The stories he must know. I know. I, my mates, the Jive Aces, who are a jazz band that you may or may not know, I gigged with. They were very pally with Tony Prima, who was obviously married to Louis Prima. Mm -hmm. So she would tell them all of you know. I think Frank Sinatra was godfather to their child, mm. and like really talking about the time she got drunk and he had to get, you know, these really, really happened. They, these were mates, you yeah. know, she wouldn't marry. She, I think he asked her to marry him and she said no because of his mafia connections. You know, <laughs> this, so they're, they're, they're all sitting around having tea and having a nice breakfast and Tony Prima's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, Frank asked me to marry him and you're just like, wow, yeah. just wow, the stories, you know. Have, have you heard this phrase that everyone's kind of using at the moment or, I guess it like twenties generation is kind of using at the moment, which is that this from like when lockdown ends is gonna be the new twenties, you know. Oh yeah, the roaring twenties, yeah. The roaring twenties are coming back. And I'm just like, great, I want the fashion and I want the music, most importantly, please. <laughs> I'm so waiting for the next kind of jazz musicians to come. I mean, sea shanties have come back. Why can't we have some? I know Fisherman's Friends has a lot to answer for. They are great. Like some of them are great. Um, yeah. One last question for you, Cassidy, and then I'll let you go. <laughs> Just to kind of round round things off, um, if you if you can summarize for me, what are the good, bad, and mad things about what you do? Okay, so the good about what I do is the community, amazing friends, um, being inspired, being get to inspire, uh, being part of someone else's inspiration rather, um, getting to, on, on the best of days, um, change people's moods en masse. So they could come in relatively neutral and they leave elated. And you know they're going to go home having a, they're in a different um, state, right? I love that. I love that. That's yeah. good. Um, this is very brief. There's obviously more good things about this industry. The bad is, um, again, just as good people can make your life good, bad people can make your life bad. Mm -hmm. So um, work with good people, not always possible. Bad people can make it very upsetting. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, um, be careful. And also, much as people can seem really nice in this industry, just 
be savvy. Some people can't keep a secret and they will betray you. That's happened to me a few times um, from a couple of people that I thought were my friends. So just be careful. Just after yourself. Uh, yeah. Um, but trust those that are worth, you know, trust those that are trustworthy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get better at spotting who's fake and who's not. Um, good, bad, and the, what was it? Mad. mad. Like mad, crazy things that you find yourself getting up to. <laughs> mad. Um uh gosh what are the mad things i'm trying to think i don't really do the mad things anymore i suppose it can be the the i think when and i suppose it's it's not bad it, it, those nights where you you're all out as a cast and you might not necessarily be particularly tipsy or drunk but you've got a group of people who want to play mm-hmm. like we went on this bowling alley uh, night in manchester with all of the cast of Anne juliet mm-hmm. and um it was just people out for playtime and it was glorious. And those are the mad nights where we don't just bowl. We're kind of like, there's an artistry to how people are doing it. And there's like this playful competitiveness and yeah. it's just, it's wonderful. And I think mm-hmm. um, people always being um, a, just a little bit more social than the regular people on, on mass mm-hmm. can be, um, I think sometimes we take it for granted how much mm-hmm. fun we can actually have. Madly wonderful. Madly wonderful. There you go. Cassidy, it's been so, so lovely to talk to you. Thank you and so, you. so much. It's been so nice. I can't wait to come see you in a show. Uh, yeah, it's going to be about uh, four weeks. Four weeks. I can't believe it. Four weeks I'll be on stage. Smash. Listen, thank you for a, for a lovely interview. No, you're an um, absolute sweetheart and good luck with rehearsals. Thank you very much, my darling. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.